Patrick Hall. Question number one, Mr Speaker, and may I welcome you to your first Prime Minister's question as Speaker of this House. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our sincere condolences to the family and friends of Major Sean Birchall of 1st Battalion, the Welsh Guards, who was killed in Afghanistan last week. He died serving serving our country and the people of Afghanistan. His death reminds us how difficult it is for men serving in Afghanistan at the moment. He and others who have lost their lives shall never be forgotten. I'm also sure the House will wish to send our sincerest condolences also to the families and friends of Jason Swindlehurst and Jason Cresswell following the tragic news of their death in captivity in Iraq. Mr Speaker, the taking of hostages is a cruel and barbaric act and can never be justified. I can assure the House that the Government are doing all that we can and our thoughts and the thoughts of all people in this House will be with the families and friends of those who wait for news. Mr Speaker, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Patrick Hall. Mr Speaker, I would like to associate myself with the sentiments expressed by my right honourable friend uh, regarding our troops, the hostages and their families. Mr Speaker, one of the key issues raised with me by my constituents is that of housing, more specifically access to affordable housing and the need for mortgage finance. My constituents are aware that despite the urgent need for more house building, Conservatives generally campaign against it. That's right. As well as, as well as, as well as opposing the measures needed to fix the financial system. Could I ask my right honourable friend? I think the Prime Minister's got the gist of it. I think the Prime Minister's got the gist of it. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we're investing billions more in new affordable housing. We are helping more households into home ownership through shared ownership. We, we have secured commitments from the major banks that they will invest a large amount of the 70 billion extra they are investing over the course of the next year in housing. Of course, that would not be possible if we were to implement a programme of 10% cuts in our spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Cameron. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. He, he had a bit more than the gist of it, I think. I think he had a prepared answer to it as well. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Major Sean Birchill from the 1st Battalion of the Welsh Guards, who was killed in Afghanistan. And I also very much agree with the Prime Minister about expressing our heartfelt sympathy to the families of Jason Swindlehurst and Jason Cresswell at their loss. And the Prime Minister knows he has our full support with all the efforts being made to free the remaining hostages in Iraq. Last week, the Prime Minister told the House capital expenditure will grow until the year of the Olympics. The Government's own figures show that is just not the case. Will he take this opportunity to correct what he told the House last week? Yes. In the building of the Olympics, capital investment will rise very substantially. I can tell him that capital investment is rising from £29 billion to £37.7 billion and then to £44 billion in 2009-10 and that is to help complete the building of the Olympics. There, afterwards, it will fall as a result of decisions that we made. But, but, I, but I, I can tell them, I can tell them the comparison is between 44 billions of investment now and even in real terms, a comparison with 99-92 when he was in charge of advising at the Treasury. We are investing 44 billion. He was investing only 16. Cameron. 
I'm afraid that is just not good enough. Last week, last week, last week, the Prime Minister made a very clear statement to this House of Commons. He said capital expenditure will grow until the year of the Olympics. Now, here are the figures. Capital expenditure this year, 2009, is £44 Next year, 2010, it is 36 billion. The year, the year 2011, it is 29 billion, and in the year of the Olympics, 2012, it is 26 billion. That is a cut of almost half from 44 billion to 26 billion. So, will the Prime Minister now apologise, correct his, correct his statement, and admit he is cutting capital expenditure? Speaker, I was just, I, I was just explaining. I was just explaining how we had brought forward capital investment to last year and to this year. Mr Speaker, the figure in 2006-07 for capital investment was £26 billion. It has risen to £38 billion in 2008-09 and to £44 billion in 2009-10. That is so we can advance capital expenditure to deal with the downturn. The problem for the right honourable gentleman is that he wants to cut capital investment now. He wants to cut it while we are increasing it. We are increasing it to complete the building of the Olympics and other projects, whereas his party would be cutting capital investment now. He has got to face up to the fact that he is going to spend less than us in every year. The Prime Minister has been caught absolutely red-handed. He made a statement to the House about capital expenditure growing every year, and the fact is it is being cut. If he believed in transparency and honesty and truth in public life, he would get up at that dispatch box and say, I'm sorry, I've got it wrong, I gave the wrong figures, here are the right ones. Now do it. Speaker, I, Mr. Speaker, I have explained I have, I, I have explained to the House what is that money has been brought forward to 2008-9 and 2009-10. Instead, uh, instead, instead of having expenditure of just £30 billion in 2008-9, it is £38 billion. Instead of expenditure of less in 2009-10, it is £44 billion. We took the decision to advance public expenditure to deal with the recession. Now let him come clean. He would be cutting public expenditure this year, next year, every year after. He is trying to evade his responsibility for wanting 10% cuts. Mr Speaker, in the answer before last, the Prime Minister talked about the year 2007-08. In the last answer, he talked about the year 2008-09. The fact is, those years have already happened. What he said at the dispatch box last week was that capital expenditure would grow between now and the Olympics. The figures are here in the budget book, page 226. Capital expenditure, £44 billion in 2009, falling to 36, then 29, and then in the year of the Olympics, 26 billion. There is no other way you can cut it. There's nowhere else he can hide. He's got to stand up, explain he got it wrong, and say that what he told the House last week was wrong. Why not do it for once? Speaker, we brought forward spending to deal with the recession. I know he's against us bringing forward the spending, but we brought forward current and capital spending to deal with the recession. Now, let me tell him that spending is £44 billion in the year 2009-10. That is the highest capital expenditure ever in our country. It compares with the recession years under the Tories, when capital spending was only £12 billion or £16 billion. We are taking the action to invest in our public services. 
they would cut our public services now. And why does he not admit that it would be 10% cuts in public services under the Conservatives? David Cameron. Let's first of all be clear about the Prime Minister's claims about Conservative policy. Even his own colleagues don't believe him. This is the report we had from last week's Cabinet. Darling pointed out that Brown's Tory cut figures did not represent the Conservative Party's policy, but were merely extrapolations. No, it, it gets more interesting. Cooper, previously the Treasury Minister responsible for public spending, echoed his concerns. According to one source who was present, Brown was visibly irritated at the way he had been undermined and brought the meeting to an early close. He says he, says he wants to be a teacher. It sounds like he's lost control of the classroom. The, the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, last week, Last week at that dispatch box, he did not talk about bringing forward capital expenditure. He said very clearly, capital expenditure will grow until the year of the Olympics. Let me give him one more chance to show that that talk of transparency and truth and honesty actually means something. Find that moral compass, stand up there and tell us you got it wrong. Mr Speaker, I read, I read out the figures to the House. We are spending $38 billion in that year 2008-9, more than the Tories would ever do. We are spending $44 billion in the coming year, more than the Tories would ever do. We are spending, we are spending more money on capital investment than at order, any time in our order. history. I apologise for interrupting the Prime Minister. There is simply far too much noise. The public doesn't like it, and neither do I. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, and we've got to face up to the fact that a sensible date in this country means that the Conservatives are going to cut spending on housing, on education, on policing, on all the vital public services. He cannot evade the fact that his figures are lower than any of ours in any year, and that is the truth about public spending in our country. David Cameron. Speaker, the entire country will have heard one very important thing. This Prime Minister cannot give a straight answer, and he's not a big enough man to say he got it wrong. Mr Speaker, he is the party of 10% cuts in public expenditure. He is the party that would cut the vital public services at a time of recession. We have brought forward public expenditure to help people stay in their homes, to help people get into jobs, to help build schools, to help build hospitals. These are exactly the public services that the Conservatives would cut, and they would cut by 10% savagely, and that is not going to be allowed to happen. Order. 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 Mr Fabricant, you must calm yourself. It's not good for your health. Paul Farrelly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and can I welcome you to your, to your new role as well? Um, can I, many of us here will welcome the, the Prime Minister who has rode back from holding an inquiry into Iraq in private. It would have been a misjudgment to do so. That said, the two points of difference this afternoon before us in the motions are whether the terms of reference are discussed and published, and secondly, whether there's a wider composition of the committee. Um, what can the Prime Minister say to the House now to address these two points of difference? I can say that Sir John Chilcott, who is the chairman of the inquiry, and it's an independent inquiry, has written uh, uh, to me to make it absolutely clear that the inquiry will need expert assessors at the highest level, including in military, legal and in international development and reconstruction matters. And he's already begun to identify people who may be willing to serve in that capacity. As far as the terms of reference are concerned, I cannot think of an inquiry that's got wider terms of reference. It covers uh, nearly eight years, from 2001 to 2009. It covers all issues uh, that refer to both the 
both the conflict itself, the causes of the conflict, and the reconstruction after the conflict, and it does so allowing the inquiry, on the basis that is set up, to have all evidence, all materials, whether classified or not, to enable it to look at it. The terms of reference of this inquiry are very wide indeed. Mr Nick Clegg. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'd like to add, obviously, my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Major Sean Birchall, who tragically lost his life in Helmand this week, and, of course, join in the expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Jason Swindlehurst and Jason Creswell, and hope, we all hope, that the remaining hostages will be released safely as soon as possible. Mr Speaker, on the Gurkhas, the Prime Minister was wrong and was forced to back down. On MPs' expenses, he was wrong and forced to back down. On the Iraq inquiry, he was wrong and is now being forced to back down. The only gear left for this government seems to be reverse. So when will we expect him to hear? When will we hear from him that he's wrong too on public spending? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'm not wrong on public spending. We want to increase public spending. And I'm not wrong on wanting to help people in difficulty in the recession by helping the unemployed, by helping homeowners. It is the Liberal Party that wants to cut public expenditure, not the, cons not the Labour Party. Order, order. I know it's the third time, but perhaps third time will be lucky. We must have some order in this House. Mr Nick Clegg. He can't keep avoiding the questions. Today, today, new figures from the EU have been published showing that we have the largest underlying deficit anywhere in Europe. Why doesn't he admit that balancing the nation's books are going to take big, difficult, long-term decisions? Nobody, nobody is fooled by his trick of dressing up cuts as investment. Now, we are setting out what needs to happen, unlike him and unlike him, on Trident, on baby bonds, on tax credits for high-income families. There are some ideas. Now, where are his? Yeah. Mr Speaker, given that there is no problem of inflation at the moment in our country, and given that interest rates are low, it is right for us to take action to help people get into work. It is right for us to help take action to help 150,000 businesses, as we are doing. It is right for us to move forward the housing programme and to move forward our programme of capital investment. These are the right things to do. I don't think the Liberals, with their proposals to cut public spending, are doing the right thing at the moment at all. Mr Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much and congratulations on your election, Mr Speaker. Can I ask my honourable friend, the Prime Minister, if he will spell out the implications of the public for the public services for pensioners in the last well-off with a 10% cut proposed by the opposition? It will increasingly become the choice within our country. Between us uh, wanting to preserve our public services and wanting to expand them, and a Conservative Party that is determined to cut them by 10%, and once the public knows that that is the choice, they will have to explain in every constituency how many police and nurses and teachers are going to be cut as a result of their restrictions on spending. James Dudridge. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister confirm whether he's had any correspondence, email, telephone calls or texts from Damien McBride since the day he resigned? And just to clear up the confusion there seems to be around this, can he write to the Parliamentary Standards Authority confirming the answer to his question? The, 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 the answer is no, but isn't it amazing when we're discussing Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan and all the major issues that the backbencher, the backbencher can reduce himself to re-asking a question that was asked last week. Dr Ashok Kumar. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Has my right honourable friend seen my early day motion 1552 regarding steel making on Teesside? <coughs> can I ask him what help and support is he willing to give so we can keep the red car steel complex open and protect 22,000 jobs, indirect and direct jobs, as well as strong manufacturing base? Uh, I've talked to the company and I've also met the trades union, so has the business uh, secretary. The future of steelmaking in this uh, region is absolutely uh, uh, crucial and important. We are trying to do everything that we can to make that uh, happen. Clearly there is a dispute between Tata and the partners that, that were involved in the consortium that has now withdrawn its order for steelmaking in the area. Uh, we want to support a reconciliation between these uh, two uh, uh, groups uh, and that is what we are trying to do. In the meantime, One North East is trying to help uh, those people who are in search of jobs. Daniel Kaczynski. Thank you, Thank you Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister's insult to the Law and Justice Party of Poland yesterday in his European statement is a great insult to the President of Poland, who is a member of that party, and to the Polish people who elected that party into office. No matter what he may think of the Law and Justice Party, he must understand that as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, he has a duty to uh, implement basic diplomatic procedures. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, I have very good relationships uh, with the person he's talking about. As far as the Polish law, as far as the Polish law, as far as the Polish law and justice department, I think the Conservatives should look at the policies of the parties that they're having dealings with. Mr. Tom Clark, Mr. Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell the House uh, of his reaction uh, to recent events in Burma? Does he agree that the imprisonment, illegal as it is, uh, of pro-democracy campaigners uh, and the shameful, farcical and sham trial of Aung San Suu Kyi does nothing for Burma's standing in the international community. Well, let, let me first of all congratulate the Right Honourable Member on the 27th anniversary of his election to this uh, House of Commons. Uh, he has given a great uh, service to the House of Commons and particularly in the area that he's talked about, our relations with other countries. Uh, in, in Burma, uh, there is a sham trial taking place of Aung San Suu Kyi. It is completely unacceptable, not just to us, but to all members of the international community. At the last meeting of the European Council, we sent a very powerful message uh, that unless action is taken in Burma to free Aung San Suu Kyi, then we are prepared to take further sanctions against the regime. I have also talked to the UN Secretary-General and encouraged him to visit uh, Burma. Mr Gambari is, is there at the moment. I hope he will visit Burma to send a message to the regime, regime as soon as possible. Mr Peter Bone. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In May 1997, there were 1,826 people unemployed in Wellingborough. Uh, at the end of last month, that figure had risen to 3,366, an increase of 84%. Whose fault is it? Is it A, the last Conservative government, B, the previous US pri uh, President, or C, the Prime Minister who claimed he had ended boom and bust? Yeah. Speaker, the figures are all the more reason to support our policies to get people back to work. Were it not for the policies we are adopting, 500,000 more people would be out of work, and that is what uh, official estimates say, and I believe that he should be supporting the public expenditure that we are engaged in to help people get back into work. Martin Salter. Mr Speaker, it gives me particular pleasure to welcome you 
Welcome you to the chair as our new reforming speaker. And Mr Speaker, can I say how much I endorse the wise words of the Right Honourable Gentleman, the member for Hampshire North West, that called for the whole House to now get behind you. And that should be the whole House. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister deserves great credit for bringing forward proposals to establish a parliamentary standards bill and to set up a select committee on the reform of the House of Commons. But can I draw his attention to the unnecessarily tight terms of reference on today's order paper and the cross-party amendment in my name and in the name of the member for Cannock Chase. Surely it cannot be right for the committee to be constrained only to discuss non-governmental business. Mr Speaker, we propose measures for the House of Commons to modernise, in particular the election of select committee chairs, the scheduling of non-government business and the raising of public issues for debate. Uh, all these other matters can be considered in due course, and the Leader of the House is going to lead a debate on these matters. Bob Russell. Mr. Speaker, the University of Essex is proud of you. Prime Minister. <laughs> Prime Minister. Earlier this month, the Conservatives were humiliated in the local elections in Colchester. <laughs> Would the um, Prime Minister discuss with his uh, Secretary of State for Children's Schools and Families why Essex County Council is ignoring what the Secretary of State promised in this House in May last year and is proceeding to close two secondary schools against the democratic wish of the people of my constituency? Well, Mr Speaker, as, as, as he knows, investment in schools is rising. Investment generally in new school buildings is rising. He has specific questions he wishes to address to the Secretary for Children, and I hope he'll be able to meet him soon. Barry Gardner. This morning, Superintendent Simon Corkill from Wembley Police Station telephoned me to say that there... <laughs> To say that there had been to say that there had been a drop in gun crime of 45%, a drop in knife crime of 19%, and a drop in youth offending of 19% in the past year. I know the Prime Minister will want to congratulate Wembley Police Force on those statistics, but will he also join me? in asking for a 10% cut next year. I do, of course, mean in the statistics, further in the statistics, rather than in their... Minister. <laughs> Mr. Mr Speaker, since 1997, the investment we've made in neighbourhood policing and in policing generally has led to a reduction of uh, crime. And as a result of that investment, people can feel safer in their homes. But it's equally important that we maintain investment in policing a 10% cut in the policing budgets would be totally disastrous for the police forces and for communities. Mr Mark Harper. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. One in four people will suffer at some point in their life with a mental health problem, and there's a great deal of stigma about it. Will the Prime Minister take some advice from Alistair Campbell, whose advice seemed to work very well for his predecessor, who, when giving evidence to the Speaker's conference on improving diversity, suggested that we get rid of the provision in the Mental Health Act, 
which enables members yeah, of Parliament yeah. who are sectioned for a mental health problem to lose their seats. Will the Prime Minister take steps to take that measure and to end stigma against people with mental health problems? Yeah, yeah, well, mental health is a, is a serious uh, uh, problem and we should look at it with great uh, care before we make any decisions. But of course I will look at what he says, but I think he would understand that this needs the greatest of care. Jim Dobbin. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, Hotwood Hall College in my constituency delivers vocational programmes to learners throughout uh, Haywood, Middleton and Rochdale, all in areas of high deprivation. The college uh, capital programme has had to be put on the back burner because of the funding crisis in the Learning and Skills Council. Will the Prime Minister have a look at this specific uh, uh, problem for me and maybe designate the appropriate minister to meet with the college principal, the local authority and myself to see if we can get ourselves out of this mess? Good question. The Learning and Skills Council has written to the principals of all colleges about uh, capital investment for the future. It is hopeful of announcing uh, projects to go through to the next stage of process as soon as possible. And as you will know in the budget, we made available an extra 300 uh, million uh, for further education colleges. I, I'm sure that the Minister will be uh, happy to meet him. Phil Willis. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Can I say to the Prime Minister the fact that applications to higher education this year are up by 10% is a massive cause for celebration. The fact that the major increases are in particularly young black males, in students over the age of 40 and also in the lower socioeconomic groups is a double cause for celebration. Could the Prime Minister therefore say why the planned 15,000 extra places in higher education was cut to 10,000 last year and has now been cut to 3,000? And isn't it better for us to invest in people in higher education than in fact invest in them on the dole queues? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, we, we want uh, more people to be able to go to university and if there are more applications uh, this year then we've got to look at that uh, very carefully. Uh, and I shall look at what he said about the numbers uh, and I know that the Secretary for Business is looking at what can be done. Uh, we also want to give school leavers this year a guarantee that they will have opportunities as well uh, and the Secretary for Children is taking action to make sure that uh, every school leaver this summer uh, has opportunities available to them as well. Linda Gilroy. Thank you Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will know uh, how painful the very high water bills we have in the far south-west are for my constituents, particularly those on low and modest incomes. We're looking forward eagerly to the publication of the interim findings of the Walker Review on water metering and charging. Will he meet with me and a group of colleagues who've been working on this over very many years to find solutions to see how far this will be able to help address these problems? My, my, my honourable friend has campaigned on water charges in the region for many, many years. I know that there is an interim report uh, coming forward. I believe it's scheduled for publication next week with the final report expected in the autumn. And we will provide a full response uh, when the final report is published. But of course, I'll be happy to meet her to talk about it. Sir Paul Beresford. Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister, I have a considerable number of equitable life victims in my constituency. Yeah. The quality of their retirement that they've paid for has been crippled. The government's response to the two ombudsman report has added insult to that injury. Yeah. Yeah. Will the Prime Minister look again at the delays in paying compensation yeah, yeah. and at the partiality of the government's compensation scheme? As you know, the, Osman, uh, the ombudsman made certain recommendations. Uh, we, we are looking at that. We've set, up a separate, we've set up a separate inquiry to look at the implication of what was uh, said, and we will report in due course. Mr David Crosby. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Despite all the point scoring on cuts in public expenditure, can my right honourable friend assure me uh, that no money will be cut from protecting our armed forces on active service and that the priority will be in any circumstances to spend whatever money is available on the front line, unlike the Tories who were making redundancies whilst our... Uh, order. The Prime Minister doesn't have to concern himself with opposition policy. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we have shown our commitment to our armed forces by increasing expenditure on our armed forces every year. And we've made available extra money for all the additional responsibilities that they've had to discharge in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And we want to see a, a path of spending for the armed forces that is completely consistent with the responsibilities they have, to, they have to make. It would not make sense, regardless of need, regardless of what's happened to the economy, to announce 10% cuts in the defence budget now. Julian Brazier. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could the Prime Minister tell the House whether he has received advice from the Chief Defence Staff calling for sustained and substantial reinforcements for our hard-pressed armed forces in Afghanistan? Mr Speaker, if, if the Honourable Member was here yesterday, this was exactly the question I answered. And I said that we have raised the numbers of forces in Afghanistan for the period of the election campaign from 8,100 to 9,000. So for the period of the election campaign, which takes us right through to the autumn, we have met additional responsibilities to ensure that the democracy of Afghanistan is maintained, that the elections then can happen in greater, greater security and safety. And of course, we maintain our campaign, which is ongoing against the Afghanistan Taliban. Phil Wilson. Does my right honourable friend believe that it is the role of mainstream UK political parties to associate with Latvia's Fatherland and Freedom Party, which honours veterans of the Waffen SS? Or does he believe that's something that should be left to the BNP? Mr Speaker, isn't, isn't it remarkable that the Conservatives have formed an alliance in Europe that excludes the German Christian Democrats, excludes the French uh, parties of President Sarkozy, excludes the Italian party of Prime Minister Berlusconi, excludes all, include, excludes all reputable... It excludes all, all reputable polit political parties in, in Europe. Order! Order! And they are now isolated on the fringes of Europe. Susan Kramer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. That's how, would the Prime Minister agree with me that the, both the Tamil and the Sinhalese people of Sri Lanka that, uh, deserve a war crimes investigation into alleged war crimes during the civil war in Sri Lanka? And given the cowardly decision by the UN Human Rights Council to resist any such inquiry, what steps can he take to make sure that this issue is not abandoned and forgotten? Yeah. Uh, as she may know, I've spoken to the President of um, uh, Sri Lanka and I've urged him to make reconciliation with the Tamil uh, community. I think it's very important after the events that we've seen happen that those people who have been displaced are given urgent humanitarian help, that the regime itself recognises that they have got to make a peace with the Tamil members of their community and action is taken as quickly as possible to that uh, purpose. What we need is not violence in Sri Lanka, we need reconciliation.